This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Well, as you heard in Bob's news, the government is ramping up emergency preparations to deal with COVID-19. Well, as of now, the risk remains low here in Canada. And for most people, even if they contract the virus, the, the disease is mild. However, elderly people with underlying health conditions are especially at risk. The only death so far in Canada was at the Lynn Valley Nursing Home in Vancouver, where another two healthcare workers have become ill. Now, many of us have loved ones in long-term care, and the question is, what is the right approach to protect them? Some people are advocating ending visits from the outside. Others say this could make things even worse. British Columbia's provincial health officer says it's still okay to visit loved ones, but there are special preventive measures that visitors can take to reduce the risk of transmission. I'd like to hear from you, especially if uh, you are in this conundrum now, or maybe you remember what happened during SARS and, and you had to deal with that. Always an interesting reminder. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-744-740. We also often hear from healthcare workers, from long-term care facilities and others. We'd like to hear from you as well. But right now, I'm joined by Dr. Colin Furness, Assistant Professor in the Faculty of Information at the University of Toronto, and he specializes partly in the risk diseases pose to long-term care facilities, and Candice Chartrier, former CEO of the Ontario Long-Term Care Association. Thank you both for joining us. Good day. Thank you. Uh, let's start with you, Candice. Uh, what are or are there special new protocols that are coming into effect in nursing homes? Well, I, I think that the protocols in place are already um, quite concrete when you deal with the infection prevention and control measures that the homes are prepared for. I, I, I really think that the homes are in a good position based on the pandemic planning that has been in place even um, with uh, the experience we went through with SARS. I think the biggest issues really are around um, just adhering to those policies and making sure that we have enough people on the floor to um, look after the, the fragile population that they're looking after. Well, uh, what are those policies for emergency preparedness? Now, we heard in the case of, of uh, this nursing home in BC, two healthcare workers there have become ill. And, uh, you know, workers in long-term care are already stretched. How uh, would you be coping with that? Well, the biggest issue is making sure that um, the appropriate measures are being followed by staff. And I mean, if, if I can say one thing out of this entire 
um, experience is washing your hands and not just washing your hands and running the soap over them. And you've got to wash your hands for 15 to 20 seconds. You've got to follow the, the WHO, the World Health Organization guidelines. You've got to follow the respiratory etiquette, the environmental cleaning, the washing the hands before and after food prep, before and after eating, before and after toileting coughing, sneezing in a tissue, um, using masks and gloves and soiled laundry. And there's so many protocols in place. Um, and you just have to ensure that the staff are following those protocols. So, so before I, I move on to Dr. Furness, there's nothing other than the usual that is in place now. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's just having that heightened awareness of, of what you are supposed to do and you know don't touch your face uh, making sure that you're utilizing the alcohol-based um, uh, containers at, at every point of um, contact so it's just having that heightened awareness and communicate 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 you have to make sure that your staff are constantly communicating with your with your managers and your leaders and making sure that they're all following these procedures closely uh, Dr. Colin Furness, hello. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Uh, so, Dr. Furness, there are some people who have said, okay, maybe we should stop people from visiting loved ones in nursing homes. Uh, you think that's a really bad idea? Well, I think it's it's a really complicated idea. It, it's easy to say we should practice social distancing and we should isolate people because we know that works. It, it works really, really well. And so for someone who's young and healthy and well-connected in their society, um, being forced to be alone or, or isolated, you know, it would be a drag. But when we think about this population um, of people who are particularly vulnerable, who already have, in many cases, not nearly as much social contact as we would like them to have, that, that I think, becomes, it becomes a risky proposition. I mean, we know that life expectancy for, for um, persons in, who are institutionalized is directly related to the kinds of social contact and agency that they have. This is, this is important. So I would, to the extent possible, would want, I, I think, people uh, who, are, who are institutionalized to still get visitors. I would like the institutions to have personal protective equipment and to really, really be uh, very, very strict with protocols for visitors coming in. And that's, that's not something that institutions easily can do. It's, it's, it requires more resources, a lot more resources, and and so that that's difficult. But I would say that's what that's certainly what I would like to see. Okay, I I would like to know uh, what our audience thinks about that. Uh, what do you think if you have someone that you visit in a nursing home, or if you have in the past? Again, if you had experience with SARS, or if you're a healthcare worker, or uh, just if you want to weigh in on this, the number is four one six three six zero zero seven forty. Toll free one. 866-740-4740. Now, Dr. Bonnie Henry, who is the Medical Officer of Health in British Columbia, has said, yes, you should keep on visiting friends and loved ones in long-term care, but one at a time. Candice, is that a good idea? Absolutely. I, I, I would fear the social isolation that would be a result of not visiting, but it's just that that checklist yes visit but not if you're sick not if you're contagious it don't wash your hands um you have to make sure that you're following all those procedures just the same as the staff caring for the fragile elderly are following them and if you're not vaccinated 
against the flu, don't visit. Um, it, it, it's just got to, we got to take it to the facts. And we've got to find that balance between the concern for the greater public good and the individuals impacted. We can't approach this with a fear-mongering approach. We just have to have the facts and make sure that everybody knows what their expectations are. Uh, Dr. Furness, is, is that a good idea? What, what Bonnie Henry recommended is one visitor rather than, say, if, if a, the, a family comes together, have one at a time, and that they only go to see whoever they're going to see and they don't, uh, you know, do the communal spaces. Uh, is, is that a reasonable precaution? As long as every visitor is coming in and using hand sanitizer, I mean, and I mean compulsory hand sanitizer when they enter the premises, I don't think we would even need to limit it to one person. I think grandkids are a huge source of joy. They just are. Uh, kids are difficult because they touch everything. They touch absolutely everything. So I think having, having everyone, but everyone use hand sanitizer when they walk in and clear information to parents, you know, hold your kids by the hand. And to be really super careful, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even say you necessarily want to limit it just to one visitor, but to to be really, really careful about hands. You know, it's it's interesting. I remember uh, when my mother in law was alive and in long term care, uh, having visitors is is kind of a real sign of of social status, and kind of the more the merrier. You know, just having your son is one thing, but if he comes with his wife. Wow, that's even better. It, 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 you can see they just kind of puff up when, when visitors come. I agree. I think that's, that is, that is uh, a, a very good observation. And, and again, when we're talking about this population, I don't think that's a nice to have. I think that's absolutely essential uh, for maintaining mental health and physical health, too. So I, I, I abs- absolutely. Okay, totally um, I agree. There, there's, there's another aspect to this is that often people who visit in long-term care, they actually provide services. They do things that otherwise staff would have to do, uh, whether it's helping to feed people or whatever it may be. And there might be an issue with that if uh, they were limited, right? That is, I think, a really good point. One thing that research tells us uh, is that um, when you have certainly people with dementia or who are incapacitated in certain kinds of ways, sometimes what you need to do is wash their hands for them or put hand sanitizer on their hands for them. That's important. Um, the, most of the ways in which we get sick is about hand to mouth. And, uh, you know, on, on any given day, there's all kinds of possible pathogens that, uh, that a resident could encounter. And I just don't know how a long-term care home could possibly staff it so that every single resident is having their hands washed for them all the time. So that would be one really good example of, of how to help keep them safe. And yeah, I think family members are needed. Okay, uh, the, uh, the, the lines are uh, filling up, so let's take some calls. We've got Rhonda in Scarborough. Hi, Rhonda. Hi, good afternoon. I was wondering if you could answer a question for me. I understand that you're saying that in the long-term homes that you're going to be um, saying that they should be wearing masks. Well, my nephew, he's a pharmacist, and he delivers three times a week to a local uh, long-care term and for years, no one has wore masks. And I noticed the people that go in from the public, they were giving everybody the flu. Um, how come, um, two things, how come in the past they never mandatory when the flu season was out that people off the street have 
do, should be wearing masks inside the building when they know that there's elderly people there. I, I haven't heard about people wearing masks, uh, Candace. Uh... No, why don't they? Well, <laughs> there's a there's a thing with masks. I mean, right now, um, I think there's a bit of uh, fear out there, and people think that masks are going to solve all the issues, and they're really not. If I could say one thing, it would be please don't purchase masks. Leave the mask for the healthcare professionals. Because if you're not using a mask appropriately, if you're taking that mask off, putting it back on, not washing your hands, you're just, you're just displacing the virus or whatever it is. If you have the flu, you should not be going into a long-term care. But they um, do. They, they uh, don't screen the people. That's a problem. I see it all the time. My nephew, even he's one of them that had the flu that went in there without a mask on. Well, I think this is is what I'm saying. And ever since SARS, they've always had a screening process in place where you should walk into every long-term care home and see that screening instruction at the at the front door. And right now, a lot of the homes are doing active screening just to be very proactive. But if you have the flu, even if it's your job, I experienced SARS in a long-term care home in rural Ontario and the deliveries, the outdoor, outside door open, deliveries were put inside the vestibule, the door closed, and then the internal door opened and the the team took the supplies. Never, ever, ever enter if you're sick. Okay, Rhonda, thanks for your call. Um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. You know, people put a lot of faith in masks and not the heavy duty N95 masks and they might protect other people from what you may have. But again, people don't use them properly. But I'm sure if her nephew is a pharmacist, uh, he would be following the protocol, you would think. Anyway. Let's uh, let's move along to Vince in Brampton. Hi, Vince. Hello. You're on the air. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, I worked in a nursing home for 35 years, and I worked during the SARS epidemic. Uh-huh. And what we did back then was we were on a, what you would call a lockdown to a certain point. Uh, people would come into the front. Uh, they wouldn't be allowed in the building until they filled out a questionnaire. Uh, you know, we got information on where they've been and stuff like that. And if they cleared, they were allowed into the building. If they weren't, they were not allowed into the building. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, it doesn't sound like, uh, it, it doesn't sound like that's quite in place right now. But Vince, thanks for reminding us how it was handled back then. Appreciate it. So is it um, ramped up to that extent, uh, Dr. Furness or Candace, that people actually have to fill out a questionnaire? Well, the problem with doing that is if um, there's a human resources element in terms of that needs to be staffed, but it's it's people who want to come and see their grandma, their grandpa, uh, they might not quite be honest about the form. People aren't aren't, nece- aren't necessarily going to yeah. say, oh, well, yeah, I actually I have been coughing. They're like, no, I've got to go see grandma. And so that, you know, that's a worry. I would like to see, apart from the form, I'd like to see everyone who walks in be accosted and given hand sanitizer, use hand sanitizer, and also a reminder, and this is super important um, to cough and sneeze into your arm and not your hand. And you want pictures, you want posters, you want people to be told that. That's super important. People, if they know they're sick and are right-minded, will stay away, but that's not going to describe everybody. And the stakes are really high because of how vulnerable this population is. Yeah, I agree. 
I think that it's it's essential for, I know that some homes are having somebody at the front uh, door and making sure that um, they are screening and asking those questions and doing exactly what, what you just said. And, and you know, it's, they're being proactive because of the population they're caring for. Well, that would be, uh, that's the right thing to do. Nelson in Strathroy. Hi, Nelson. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. You're very welcome. Um, in my opinion, and this comes down to not just this epidemic, or it comes down to just livelihood, where people have no consideration of others, where if they're sick and they have, as, as the doctor had mentioned there, uh, they have something in their mind that they have to attain or they do, they go ahead and do it, not worrying of, of other people's health. Um, my father, a couple of years back, was in a nursing home, and his roommate had visitors that were contagious with the flu. So then they were both into quarantine because people had to go visit. Um, if people were considerate of others and where they're sick or they're ill, it doesn't matter what their opinion is or what their needs are. They should always consider what others require. Yeah, you would think, you would hope. Uh, you're absolutely right, Nelson. Thanks for your call. Have yourself a good afternoon. Great. Let's go to Natalie in Toronto. Hi, Libby. Um, I just wanted to say that I lived through SARS because my father was in North York General, not with SARS, but with something else. And um, I lived through the part where they called me 10 days later to say, oh, we had a SARS patient on your floor, where they originally said they didn't. So I know how scared I was then. And I'm pretty scared now because I've had cancer. I've had MRSA. And yes, I am only 69 years old and fairly healthy, but if I got it, if someone, as the other gentleman said, who they don't care if you're, you're sick or you're not sick, they go. But my mother's nursing home, I can tell you that if there's more than three or four cases of the flu, regular flu, in that nursing home, they shut it down. And not only do they shut it down, they will call the guardian of every single person in that home to say, don't come. That's uh, that's interesting. You know, a lot of people are saying that we are so focused on on this outbreak, which so far has not affected very many people in Canada, that we are really forgetting or not considering the much, much bigger toll from the seasonal flu that kills 3,500 people in this country every year and also causes many, many more to lose their independence. Exactly. Exactly. And I can tell you that this nursing home in particular is very uh, diligent about anything like that. And, and they, they will wipe everything down. I go in there and I check and, and they're very good that way. Natalie, has anything changed since this outbreak? Have they been more stringent about anything? I think they, I was just there, but in my head, I said to my mom, Ma, do me a favor, meet me on the main floor where the library is. I did not go upstairs this time uh-huh. because I'm kind of afraid of going upstairs. I have a sick husband at home, and I don't want to bring anything back to him. Oh, okay. But, okay. Should I, um, uh, Candace? Should what, what's your husband sick with? 
Um, he has oh, so many things. <laughs> I don't even know where to Nothing go. Nothing contagious, though. Um, no. No. But if he, he has diabetes and he has um, um, Wagner's vasculitis and he has all kinds of things. So he's vulnerable. So he's vulnerable. And it scares me, even though I am not sick, but I don't want to bring anything in. Yeah, okay, I get you. I hear you. Thanks, Natalie, for your call. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. So is, can I just, is, can is, I just add please one, one thing here that um, in terms of the, what the what the previous caller had said around people being inconsiderate and the risk here, both influenza, which is which is um, something to be very frightened of, both influenza and COVID ID, uh, COVID nineteen have one thing in common: you can be feel perfectly fine and be infected and be contagious. And that's the hallmark of a successful virus is that it's able to propagate without you feeling sick. And mm-hmm. so this, this is why, you know, the screening and so on and so forth is great. But really, the, the, I think the main thing is, is hands, regardless of how you're feeling. That is the, the single most important thing we can, we can pay attention well, to. Well, I, I can tell you just anecdotally from here at work, the, the uh, increase in the use of hands sanitizer and the use of wipes it's huge i mean it's really good to see actually absolutely uh but yeah nobody who wants who wants to get sick or uh god forbid transmit it to to somebody else nobody and you know to uh, to a large extent there's i mean there is quite a panic on this but you know um you know to a large extent i haven't really changed my day-to-day anything, just being careful, right? Yep. Let's hear from Pat in Toronto. Hi, Pat. Good afternoon. Uh, Dr. Furness nailed it down. It's this period of um, where no symptoms are apparent, but the person is infected. How long is that period? So it so the epidemiology of influenza changes all the time. So that's actually a really hard thing to pin down. With with COVID nineteen, we don't even know yet, and uh, we can start to infer that by some of the contact tracing that's been done in the early days of the epidemic. It looks like a couple of days, and and with influenza, it could be similar. But the the this. Both viruses have something very important in common. They mutate all the time. They mutate very, very rapidly. And everything we know about a virus from one population is not necessarily going to be the same in a different population, uh, different genes, different immunity, different weather, different geography. So it's, it's, I know why you want to answer that question. It's a really important question. But we're, the, the honest scientific answer is we know there's transmission that's asymptomatic and we really don't know how long. Yeah, there, there are some people who know never develop symptoms. Correct. And I think that, that, that you see that, and you're exactly right. You see those increased numbers that in some countries are staggering, and it's because of exactly what we're talking about. I mean, I think you have to approach this as anybody standing beside you could be a carrier, even if they're not symptomatic. So, you know, that's where the World Health Organization and the ministry is is consistently putting out those um, those measures to to like like social distancing, um, transparency, cover your mouth, um, protect yourself, and avoid crowded spaces. Just start doing those simple things to take that risk down a notch. But don't assume because somebody's not exhibiting symptoms that they're not carrying the virus. 
but, but doesn't that mean that we really should be accepting the fact that we are going to see some serious uh, mortality levels with older people, any of us over, say, age 60 or 70, well, say age 70 and on. And we've got to make that clear because uh, how do we contain it when we don't know whether the person is infected? I mean, that's the difficulty. Well, I, I, I think, you know, what we've seen is, uh, you know, if, if we keep it contained to this, we, I mean, any, any loss of life is tragic, but it, there's been one. Well, my last comment would be that Malthus would be sitting back and saying, I told you so. Um, you know, population controlled by plague and pestilence. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I think we've got a real uh, problem on our hands, and hopefully we don't have the same issue that uh, that Italy has at this point. Oh, yeah. But, but well. I'm, not, I'm not convinced. Anyway, thank you. Okay, Pat. Okay. So let me, let me comment on that briefly, because I, I, those are really good, important points that are being made. Quarantine and social distancing are extremely effective. And so if you are of an age where you have heightened concern, which is completely fair, social distancing, avoiding, avoiding crowds, uh, staying six feet away. If you stay six feet away from other people and you don't touch your face before you clean your hands, um, you will be very safe. And I, I want to say even in Wuhan, where, where we saw images in the news that were so terrifying, 99.5% of the population went home and didn't get sick. So it, 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 there, there are steps we can take to, to protect ourselves that way. So if you are concerned, it is not inevitable um, that you are going to be facing that you're going to be facing illness. You have uh, people have a lot of agency to to uh, to do social distancing and quarantine. Hmm. Let's hear. And there's fr- several, yeah, and there's several measures in place. And if 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 you can just say one thing, it's don't take secondhand information. Don't Google things. I, I mean, the ministry has the World Health Organization. There's so much structure in place now that you can you can phone that hotline or you can reach out to your local healthcare provider and they will have all of those facts for you. Because I think that if, if the fear level gets too high, then people stop thinking about the prevention and they go into a reactive mode. And I think that's where issues will start. Yeah, I, I again, you know, I... I... It seems sometimes that the panic about this is is worse than the actual thing, though. Especially when we're we're talking about a vulnerable population now, then we really have to think hard about it. Let's hear from Ron in Guelph. Hi, Ron. Hi, Libby. Thanks for taking the call. Um, I'm a little a little bit question mark. Um, I had bypass surgery seven weeks ago today. I'm 71. You now, for the first two weeks out of the hospital, I was feeling really great. Everything was wonderful. But in the last two weeks, um, I've had a roller coaster of flu-like symptoms. I haven't had a cough. That I can be absolutely sure of, which I was assumed was the greatest symptom of the COVID-19. And yet, I've never experienced something where I'm feeling good half a day and then really bad in the, uh, the rest of the day. Should I be concerned about this at all? Uh, why don't you call your, your doctor, uh, I would think? Well, right now, I, it, I'm, I'm days away from getting a doctor's appointment, I guess. She's awfully busy as well, so um, I don't know where else I can get tested, though, other than the hospital. Well, they, not everybody, by the way, gets a test. They're, they will give you a questionnaire before determining even if you need a test. Okay. But your, your post-surgery, I mean... That's all. 
D- uh, Dr. Furness, do you have an answer for Ron? Well, I think I think the advice to, to talk to your doctor is absolutely what you want to do. Your your risk of your the odds that you have contracted COVID nineteen are so incredibly low. But okay. given everything you described, you might have a different you might have a different health challenge, or you might have a different kind of infection. Uh, and and talk to your doctor for sure. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you could have some kind of post op in, infection that's making you feel like this, and it uh, might feel like the flu and be something entirely different. You really should get in there. Well, if I'd have had a co- any kind of a cough, I would have been in there a lot sooner. But this, I, I said I'm just calling. Just I'm just trying to trying to be more cautious because I I don't want to be out there and causing any more grief. But as you said, you know, sometimes you feel really great. You're carrying the uh, the virus and you, you feel great for a while. So Yeah, but it's, it's, it's as uh, Dr. Furness says, probably unlikely that you have COVID-19, but you might have something else. So that anyway, actually, that, that actually triggered me something. If you do live alone and you are feeling like this or you know somebody that's feeling like this, that is a high-risk population, encourage them to have a buddy system um, and encourage that buddy to check on you. Um, I want to come check on you right now just to make sure you're okay, but that that's really important, especially because a lot of the vulnerable population of seniors live alone. And, um, and I think it's really important to have someone that you can reach out to that is doing that check-in on you. That's a great point. Thank you for that, uh, Candice. And Ron, take care, and we encourage you to talk to a doctor. I'll get into it as soon as I can get the uh, an appointment that's available. So I, I'm just going to restrict my movement until then. Okay. Going to say so. Anyway, I, I appreciate you taking my call. Okay, All the best to you. Thanks. Okay, we're basically out of time on this subject. Uh, Candace, you gave us a, a good a last piece of advice. Uh, Dr. Furness, anything from you to end off with? Well, I think um, I'm, hope- I'm hopeful about one thing. Everything that we're all doing in terms of protection and in terms of changing our habits and not shaking hands and coughing in our arms, we might all end up healthier in the long run. I would really like to see flu rates lower next year. I'd like to see this learning stick, and, and I'm hopeful that's the case. Okay. Uh, thank you so much uh, to you both, Dr. Colin Furness and Candice Chartrier. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Libby. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.